As I said to a judge, you put the Elko and welcome back. I'm your host, your guide, your blind poet stumbling over broken souls, Jackie Cotillard, and I'm the operator of this infinite establishment. We aren't the owners, we aren't even really in charge, but we found the place suitable to call by name, and we've set up shop to find out what we're looking at. So what is that exactly? As my grandfather said, the inside of my eyelids. At this moment, the memory of an ornate lobby swimming with shadows and lights from nowhere, with hallways running out in unusual angles. Home. To myself and what is left of the staff. Currently, in the hallway in which I make my mobile desk, in which we are huddled, disembodied tires are rolling past, in great clusters like the most unexpected traffic. This lobby to which we once made claim now in the hands of strange entities, is the nexus of a bizarre new dream world. And you are just the latest guest to wander about. Thank you for coming. Before you showed up, we spoke to a pair of folks who have redefined what people in the temporal zone of Birmingham, Alabama mean when they say, Man, that show was... That shit's crazy. I was like, what? Awesome. Great stuff. They are absolutely correct. With the full-length album out this year on the Earth Library's label in Birmingham, a Southeast tour recently conquered, and a barrel full of mystique and proper dread, the phenomena known collectively as Lil White Bitch have come into our station and given their thoughts on music and creativity and the craziness they have witnessed in their time on the rock. All of this coming on this 51st episode of the Earth Hotel podcast, your source for art propaganda in Birmingham and the world. Maybe you thought you'd never see us again, nestled back in the astral lounge to bring you another late-era variety show from the carpeted horrors of the Earth Hotel. But here we are. Maybe not on the astral lounge, maybe in a far-flung corner, but here nonetheless. After quite a few tries, our team, which is now just myself and the Uber secretary, Juliana, have determined the best way to proceed in attempting to retake our former glorious seat in the lobby at the main operator's desk. But until our moment in the sun returns and our full capabilities are restored, we must continue from the outskirts. Before we can talk to you about what the halls have in store for us this evening, I want to give you a brief walking tour of an area that has just come to our attention last week. Our fact-finding reports on the inner lobby channel are returning again as well, but they are geared more toward telling a cohesive account of the notable events in our research and exploration. But a lot of the work that we do here on this deviated astral septum can be described as the mundanity of insanity, just as in the dream time you and I spend every night, and as any procedural minimum wage worker well knows, the experiences flash by and are quickly forgotten. But given the time to set up that dark room and slowly, carefully expose the picture so that it survives development, the educational entertainment from beyond the wall of sleep is virtually endless. So, 
three doors down on your left, away from the safety of our remote station. You can slip into a scene a little less comfortable, and we can start with a chase down between the beds and breakfasts. This particular sector has a stalker, and it smells like cinnamon. Meet me back here shortly. See you in a few, gumshoe.
you heard correctly. The Jackie that told you about Lil White Bitch a few moments ago, that's still this Jackie. Or rather, became this Jackie in the brief moment of time between. In any case, we are all correct. Lil White Bitch is our guest, and for this interview, they prefer to keep their names and identities as individuals separate from their civilian lives. You may keep your imagined visions and expectations of them quietly to yourself, for they know who they are, for certain. And that's a lot more than most can say. Lil White Bitch have come from the depths of Birmingham after lifetimes in music and creativity. It has been building to this moment as it decides to live and wreak havoc upon unsuspecting venues throughout the Southeast. When I saw them for the first time, they looked like the cover photo for this episode, a horror show of pithy experimentation and punk-ass raw surrealism. They were much more approachable in person. We spoke about life and our views on it, but tried to get to the bottom of what they were trying to make people feel. I don't know if we accomplished that, but you can feel it for yourself. The Little White Bitch experience can come into your ears in the comfort of your home on F+, their album available on Earth Libraries. Links in the description to their music videos and their Bandcamp page. You'll hear a few choice cuts from the record throughout the show tonight. As a brief aside, we were compelled to include some rudimentary magic on the front end of this episode to lend some properly subconscious feedback on the fate of Little White Bitch. I don't pretend to think to know the rules of existence because I throw a mean tarot. This is simply another tool in our metaphysical box of goodies that we can use to scientifically and magically explore the bizarre world we inhabit, given the proper procedure and caution. Nothing is out, but nothing is automatically true either. We'll be using three tarot cards, drawn at random after some thorough shuffling and chanting of a rhyme that I made up, to distract my hands from doing predictable shuffling or mixing. The rhyme was fun because it puts me in a specific playful mood and it makes me feel like I'm doing some form of pop culture magic, which actually feels nothing like <clears throat> practical magic. That happens quietly in your head, in the place that you are, in the room that you're in. In regard to what it all means, it strongly depends on what your question or concern might be in doing this in the first place, and what you expect to find in it. I do not believe the tarot contains the future, or much temporal information for that matter. Other methods may indicate the future, but I tend not to read a three-card spread like this as past, present, and future. In my interpretation, there are three dimensions of our psyche, our realm of concern, our individual universe. The planes on which we make our stand are on three axes, and that's all we can do about it. These things balance on each other and maintain our set of circumstances, if that metaphor may stand. If you may think about it another way, these represent, in no particular order, circumstance, what is, n, internal state, what you bring to the table, and the third estate, the muse, the unknown, chance, etc. This doesn't mean that I read the cards one, two, three in that order, but I can see where my tendencies lie in that information that I see in the cards and how I connect that information to my life and my experiences. Little white bitch, and you at home, the listener, you may apply these messages from disorder to yourselves at will. I'll describe the cards visually, but I won't necessarily interpret them. I'm just going to try to paint a picture in your mind as sort of a guided visualization or meditation on them. So pay more attention to what you feel, how the symbols relate to each other, how the visuals stand in context to each other, what it brings up for you. Pay as much attention to your internal state as my voice as I describe these things. First card is the Eight of Swords, 
This depicts a woman in a fiery gown, standing in a partially flooded golden sandy plain in the foreground, with a grey mountain and castle behind her. The castle is across a beach and some distance away, but reachable in a few hours of walking. She is standing in place, her bare feet on the ground. Her eyes are covered with a white blindfold, and she is tied around the arms and hips with a white band, but not the legs. She leans slightly forward and looks slightly down with resolve, one foot just in front of the other like she is taking a tentative step. She is surrounded on two sides by eight swords, gleaming silver and driven into the ground at intervals around her. Five to her right, as tall as her, in the foreground of the castle, two on her left of similar size, and then some distance before her on the left, the last sword noticeably smaller than the rest, closest to us. It is toward this sword that she is gazing through her blindfold. She has turned gently to the left, with her back solidly to the castle, the red of her gown echoed in the far spires behind her. This card was reversed, upside down. Reading this way, the bright orange gold of the sand and blue of the water are a tormented sky. Swords plunge upward, piercing it with puffy wounds, as though they were pushed in and being pulled out again. Amid the raised swords, against the flat gray land, is a fiery woman looming from the heavens, upside down, blind and helpless, falling toward the unseen ground. Behind her, the inverted spires of the castle now point earthward as well, pulling behind them a distorted gray mass seeping from the sky and coming down. Card 2 is the Knight of Pentacles. This knight, in comparison with the other knights of the deck, is slow and methodical, the only knight standing still atop his horse. The horse is great and black, well adorned in red rigging and a gold saddle. He wears olive sprigs on his head, looking out with a knight upon a tilled, hilly landscape. The knight, in shining blue armor, holds in front of him a yellow orb containing a pentacle, a five-pointed star within a circle. He gazes just beyond it to the field before him, out of sight, offering the orb. Offering to what? The sky beyond them is bright yellow, just as the orb. He is standing in a field that has been worked through and brought into useful order by toil, and now at rest upon a working horse, he offers his gold plate inscribed with a symbol of nature's creation, up to the sky where it seems to belong. He offers his gold to being itself, as part of the trade of nature. But he is not a farmer. He wears no cover, but armor. He holds no weapon, but remains a knight. And while he is taking cautious seasons to sow and harvest, he may return his horse to defensive gallop at any time to defend or attack his domain. This card was also upside down in our shuffle. A reversal like this does not necessarily mean the inverse or opposite of whatever effect you get from this. You may interpret that as nothing or of any significance which you like. Card three is the Five of Pentacles. This card depicts a brutal winter night outside of a brightly lit, stained-glass window of a church. Beneath, looking down or away from it, are two freezing figures trudging barefoot in the snow, one seemingly a widow and one on crutches with a mangled foot. Their arms and heads are bare, and they huddle into themselves against the cold, 
missing the sanctuary of the church. The window dominates the frame, with five gleaming coins in the center, one, two, and then two, pentacles with strong symbolic connection to nature. Association is not a clearly understood process, as we still have little understanding as to where thoughts come from or how they form in our consciousness. I saved any interpretation for the end because there isn't any. You have information. If you wish, go back and listen to the descriptions again and see where you fit among the themes that rise out of the images. You may see your own internal struggle in one scene and the circumstances out of your control in your life coming to bear against your unknown luck in another card. And if you are so inclined, this is a very unprepared and uneducated preface to tarot. You're absolutely welcome, if you're in Birmingham, to find resources in person at Books, Beans, and Candles or at Golden Temple. There's an immense amount of information also online on how to start or develop the skill of interpretation. Sometimes, even for the most logical person, the most helpful solution to a problem is to let your subconscious drive, and your logical mind sit back and listen in, taking everything as it is. Without a dichotomy of magic and science, we have all the tools at our disposal and all the ways under the sun to use them. If there is one place conducive to such a thing, specifically in the vicinity of the Florida Panhandle, then Fork and Spoon in Panama City is that nexus of knowing. Owned by our friend Scott Bazaar and curated as a record label by Joel Switzer of episode 45, Fork and Spoon serves as Florida's home for the weird. What you'll hear next is what Little White Bitch wrought upon the sweet and periodically quiet house on the shores of the Gulf.
that means you're qualified for a tax credit available only from the Inner Lobby. By going to your podcast source and searching The Inner Lobby and subscribing to that show and listening to the episodes, you become available for amazing deals if you act right now. The Inner Lobby is our dramatic exploration of the Earth of Talbardo, this mercurial plane of reality which contains the corridors and endless rooms that you visit, sometimes in dreams. We're not hell nor heaven know how. We're in the Earth Hotel. And that's both, Bubba. If you can help us with your stories from the rooms of your dreams or stories from the impossible from the waking world, you may qualify for a special tax benefit courtesy of us here at the remote operator's desk, on the outskirts of the lobby of the Earth Hotel. Anything you have to say will enter you to be qualified for a tax break sponsored by the Inner Lobby. Go to theearthhotel.org to listen to this podcast or the Inner Lobby and find us wherever you hear other podcasts. Now back to the show. This has been a message from the Research Department of Earth Hotel Communications, LLC, the Inner Lobby Incorporated Intelligence Enterprise. Thanks, folks. Take your crusty gold courtesy of Little White Bitch Incorporated.
Before we bring the mouths and minds of Lil' White Bitch into the interview room with us, I want to bless the space, this being the first conversation in the new CDDG remote facility in Zone C of the hotel. Many of our episodes include an invocation to the more real than realness of gods and muses seemingly lost to our lives today, through ritual, chant, prayer, song, exhortation of any kind. We're trying to sublimate and integrate the higher wisdom which the originators of these myths well understood. In this way, we're getting in touch with the spirit, however faint and strange it might be, of our ancient ancestors and predecessors from any culture, finding a way to continue a legacy and life that seems not only foreign to us, but irrelevant or useless. It is by doing it and finding out for ourselves that we can feel and employ the truth available from it. Listening to F+, we were somehow struck by the memory of Captain Cook landing in Hawaii in 1778. He came upon land in the sacred harbor of the god Lono, a fertility and rain god who brought clouds and phenomena of the sky. The Hawaiians were captivated by Cook, considering they were right in the middle of a festival celebrating Lono, and lauded the explorers as incarnate gods. Later that month, when a crewman died, that illusion unraveled. Cook was killed, his body cooked, and the marrow of his holy bones eaten for religious significance. Somehow, this seemed relevant to the experience of this unsettling and intriguing work by Little White Bitch. Something about the cloudy distance and the disapproving tilt of the voice. It's hostile in a way that, even without understanding the lyrics, seems to be directed at the hostile of the world, the clamoring, at the chaos of confused modern people working out their arrogance and rage on being itself. You can't overstay your welcome in a storm. You can't just club a marlin to death on a Hawaiian dock and scream you're Lono. People will get upset. An hour later, you'll have to settle up and pay your debts to the thrashing sky. And then, and only then, there may be peace for you. In this light, and as a sort of salute of recognition to the demanding and generous figure of Lono, I'll be reading from an anthropological text, Hawaiian Mythology by Martha Beckwith, Yale University Press, 1940. A gratitude and humble plea of grace to the Kanaka Maoli, the native Hawaiian people, for my sincere and earnest participation in your culture, and for our together place in the human mission. This episode is ritually dedicated to thee, the cloud signaler, the god of storm and providence. Ono, god of Hawaii in ancient times, resided with his wife at Kaurakakua, path of the gods. The name of the goddess, his love, was Kiyakirani Ariapuna. They dwelt beneath the steep rock. A man ascended to the summit, and from the height thus addressed the spouse of Lono. O Rani Ariapuna, your lover salutes you. Keep this, remove that. One will still remain. Lono, overhearing this artful speech, killed his wife with a hasty stroke. Sorry for this rash deed, he carried to Amorai the lifeless body of his wife, and made a great wail over it. He traveled through Hawaii in a state of frenzy, boxing with every man he met. The people, astonished, said, Is Lono entirely mad? He replied, I am frantic on her account, I am frantic with my great love. Having instituted games to commemorate her death, he embarked in a triangular boat and sailed to a foreign land. Ere he departed, he prophesied, I will return in an after times. 
on an island bearing coconut trees and swine and dogs. Great Lono dwelling in the waters who sets himself in the cloud and feeds upon it, is born and matured there and travels on with it, the god with head hidden in the dark clouds above. At his return to the festival Makahiki, a priest addressed him. Your bodies, O Lono, are in the heavens, a long cloud, a short cloud, a watchful cloud, an overlooking cloud in the heavens, from Uli Uli, from Mele Mele, from Pola Pola, from Hae Hae, from Omo Keululu, from the land that gave birth to Lono. Behold, Lono places the stars that sail resplendent through the heavens. High resplendent is the great image of Lono. The stem of Lono links our dynasties with Kahiki, has lifted them up, purified them in the ether of Lono. Lono the rolling thunder, the heaven that rumbles, the disturbed sea. Lono and Kiakialani living together, fructifying the earth, observing the tapu of women, clouds bow down over the sea. The earthquake sounds within the earth, tumbling down there below Malama. I'm glad to see there's another faceless entity wandering around Birmingham. Explain yourself, little white bitch. Why you? Why are you the one to take up this task? <laughs> I would say it shows us. Like there's lots of times in making art, you cook stuff up and you plan stuff out. And I've never really been happy with the stuff I did that way. So I feel like this project, in the like pitfalls of doing stuff the other way, this project kind of manifested out of that. I guess it's been a little over two years we've been doing it, mm-hmm. and it's still, still the boss. <laughs> well, and it, like it's one of those things where ultimately I think it's more comforting that like there's an element of like where we can check out and just be like it's gonna do what it's gonna do, mm-hmm. and you know that. And we've also discussed that with how this thing might end. You know, like it'll decide when it's the time. It's always had an element of um, like improv. We don't know how, and I guess that's with any performer, you don't know how a show's going to go, you know, and especially when we first started, it was like, it took a long time to find something that worked or felt a little bit more, flowed a little easier and was easier to keep up with. But still, I mean, those early shows were still really fun and were their own thing. Well, the first year, every show was different. Like, we almost felt like, there's been times... Like, we might find a gimmick or something, and it would be great, but then if I tried it again, it would, like, hurt me somehow. Or like, Physically? Or it would just be to your detriment? Yeah, like, there was a group where we would get whipped while we were playing, hmm. and so the, like, next time I tried to do that, the first whip, like, knocks my glasses off, and I can't find them. And so then I start playing guitar and the whip hits the guitar and like pops two strings. And it was just like the first time we did it, it went great and nothing happened. Like, but you get rejected by repetition. Well, and it's reached a place now where it's like 
we don't think about it as being like we may do a similar set, but it's not nothing's ever the same. No, Everything well, is always changing. That, that, like, that was kind of the key to like where it is now, where it is something like we can go on a tour with a very minimal setup and know like we're gonna set it up the same way every night. We're gonna play a similar set every night, but as far as what we are physically doing, there's no possible way it can be the same night after night. Like, mm-hmm. I guess it's got like the improv rooted in it more to where it guides itself. And I think that has to do with just getting older too. And just realizing that just cause like, cause I've thought about this a lot as a kid, you know, cause there'll be, people will be like, Oh, well that's a copy or this is just a plays into a certain trope or genre. And it's like, well, yes, but because it's slightly different, that makes it okay. Or it makes it more comforting, you know, to know that even if you did do a cover of something or try to copy a painting, it's like you're still going to have one stroke or different notes. You're still teaching yourself a process of how to self-realize. Yeah. With the internet, it's so, like, mixed up. There's no way, like, getting hit with so much different info. It's not a direct line anymore. Mm-hmm. Like. And I think it's kind of equalizing, like, uh, having all that. Like, I don't think at any other time people have had as much access to art and music mm-hmm. of global scope, you know? like. But it does flatten everything, or it does level it, which infuriates a, somebody who really needs categorization or whatever. It, you know, there's there's not the old model of, here's the billboard. You can see where, what, uh, what the country's listening to. Uh, there's not this really easy, clean, oh, there are three record companies. And even when you go to the local places and ask around and say, who's, who's your talent? Who's your like hidden gem or whatever. There's 10 people always that are going to tell you 10 different things. Uh, and they're all right. Definitely in my childhood, but as of the past 10 years, I don't know anyone that just listens to one genre. Right. Yeah. Anytime you ask someone, but it's like we all ask each other what kind of music you like, and everyone has to like talk for t- five minutes of like, well, you know, really, I like everything. Like, but I don't like country. That's yeah. what everybody says. I, I found a, an easier question to answer is why? Why do you listen to music? What What do you listen to it for? Or yeah. what are you? Uh, what about this particular thing do you like? Like, what's the function here? You know, what yeah. What is your? Uh, oh, I like to listen to it. You know, in the morning when I get ready, I like MGMT or whatever it is to, to get me pumped in the morning. And then to relax after work, I like chill stuff. Chill is like my least favorite adjective descriptor. No, it's <laughs> yeah. just chill. It's like, okay, uh, all right. But yeah, the, I want the, I like stuff that is heartful and relaxing or whatever. And if, if we speak more in those terms, then it's a lot easier to identify what, yeah. uh, what people actually are looking for. Right. You know? Because I know when I, like, my favorite thing to see is really tight songwriting that's delivered clearly. (laughs) Yeah. You know? So F Plus has a lot of ground to cover. It's a long release tablet. You really took people on an experience all the way through. There's a beginning to end kind of flow. It feels like an album and not, you know, just tracks or songs. The electronic kind of compiled sound that you have, plus the deranged, deconstructed songness on you know dozens of songs crammed into i think three tracks that are up on youtube i guess those are technically like the singles yeah everything all the time liquid damage and little angry man but i think there's like a demo ep floating around 
Yeah, didn't you release something where it was like that scab? Yeah, 20, picture? 20 minutes like, of scab. <laughs> like, what? That should be Was the that all the it. songs or was that like a totally different thing? I can't remember. No, it, that was like um, the tour we went on last year. That was like an EP or whatever that we made to sell on tour, but also just to have like a demo. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. And then we spent last year putting F plus out. And then, yeah. You've got so many angles on what I think might be your perspective or what, what little, ang- uh, not little angry bitch, little, little white bitch represents. <laughs> yeah. the, uh, the, little, the little angry man within the little white bitch. Uh, I got more of a feeling of the uh, kind of distance between what this stuff sounds like and what you're doing. Yeah, it, like. It, it sounds like a deconstruction of a lot of the things that this is similar to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I think, um,. I think about it a lot like uh, whatever piece you may be working on, like uh, it might just be one song or an album or uh, a movie or anything like that is kind of like a turd thing. <laughs> and it takes however long it takes. And once it's out, like you're, it's, you're, you're done. You've like accumulated the nutrients from it they're in you but now you're like eating something else and right you're gonna take another dump you have no use for that turd after the fact <laughs> kind of or like it's just out there it's right. to the world now yeah you don't take it back right yeah like i'm not just gonna <laughs> hang on to the turd but, right but i definitely have lots of turds lying around my house just kind of <laughs> sitting sitting there you know you saying that compared to the shining a turd or polishing a turd thing that is a very apt I've no, never I mean, heard that I need to take it back out and then, you know. That's a really, though, um, I think that is probably kind of a like a talisman or something, like polishing a turd or... And part of that's just my mom and dad. Like, they've always been very scatological. And, uh, but, and then probably me tripping acid or something as a teenager, like, seeing that reflected in art. Cause that, but it's like a spiritual thing. This, yeah. It's like... All just all the stuff you consume, and and that was like a real struggle. I think playing in groups that were more uh, two dimensional, mm-hmm. I guess, or something like that. Like that. Like I mean, I remember suggesting things like trying this kind of beat, or like let's mix it like this, or something. People would say like that's stupid. That's not how rock songs are, you know, stuff like that. And so like this project, ultimately, like I'm very thankful for because it's like a place to just do it just try it if it's worth showing people to you you know show it if it's not hang on to it <laughs> i don't know mm-hmm. or delete it I don't know. <laughs> make something on top of it or i don't know it, it's like cool part of that's just how society's gone to i guess in a weird way like it all makes sense with how mixed up things are now that could be really scary and like if you're an old uh country singer or something you know you're like fuck but they're still keeping up well. I, I think for people like us, it's like kind of more relaxing to be like, I don't know, like putting this album out. It's like really cool. I don't know. You expect people to just not listen to it. Yeah. You know, or like at the level we're at, it's not like advertised. But it is cool that some people do listen to it. And like there's an element of like, uh, <laughs> like, okay, man, I wouldn't listen to that. But <laughs> like... <laughs> But I made it, you know, I don't, like, it's funny to me just the certain people that do really like it or listen to it. It's like, I wonder what that says about them or something. Like, I don't, 
It's a Groucho Marx quote. I wouldn't want to be a member of any club that would have me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah, kind of. Do you, do you wonder about the people that listen to it? Because it's, you said it's not quite what y'all like. Oh, that goes back to what she was saying with just how this project is, like, and how extent, you know, it's been two years of, like, so far. I mean, really, it's been ten years of just every day, like. Ten years of shitting. <laughs> With this project, like, we have no idea. And I, I think that was something that ultimately empowered me was just, like, I will never know what someone else perceives my shit like because I'm so deep in this tunnel. and right. like, Well, and even the way we perform, like, we can't... There's no way. We can't see what's going on at all. Right. We're hearing it differently. Can you describe what... Because I want to hear it in your own words, what what exactly the, the visual is. Was that your first show on that Halloween... No, no, no. Our first show was Halloween, but it was at Soft Rock 20, yeah. 2016. That's right. And then we probably played Lindsay Shanti's house mm-hmm. like uh, four months later. I think we just had one mask at that time. D- different shows were different. Yeah. Like, sometimes we didn't have masks. It was drum pad, drums, and you, and then somebody else in the mask. You weren't masked. Yeah, that for a while, because of how much I was doing live, mm-hmm. I couldn't be you had a representative, a spokesperson. <laughs> I heard it explained. And that, that was one of those things like we'd never thought of. And one day it was like, I just tried it with the mask on. Because people would always bitch and moan about that mask. And so I was like, well, maybe I should just wear the mask and like... Oh, yeah, it's too heavy. <laughs> and also acquiring, like, I think around that time I bought my first laptop. And the sampler is like getting old. I don't want to sweat all over it every night. They get grimy. <laughs> so at that point, it was basically a welding mask, I guess. A, a big head unit with screens for eyes and mouth with various images, sometimes eyes and mouth, but other things. It used to be kind of a struggle of, like, I would have to drive around the day before the show and, like, borrow stuff. Right. And then make a mask and, like, everything came. It was all very improvised and, like, what can we do tonight or one yeah, show like, we had a bunch of beans and buttermilk and beer and baby dolls and we're all wearing different masks yeah but and so so that period yeah it's like i think probably the show you saw was that kind of mask mm-hmm. but the next show we played for a while i played in a dog cage that's also the plus because i think was the first time i played in the dog cage and one dude was like uh, you ain't got rhythm, but you're sure fun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. At, at Eclipse. <laughs> like, you need to learn how to keep a beat. But Is either some local... Yeah, it's one of the old man crowd. But... Have you been to the dive bar down there? Uh, is it new? Yeah. No, I haven't been yet. I haven't either. The dive bar. That's what it's called? <laughs> we, well, last time we were there, we went to that new coffee shop. Have you been there? Mm-mm. Ooh, it's weird. It is weird, yeah. It's like kind of... Think about like old David Lynch to new David Lynch. It's like that with Eclipse. Mm. It's like the Lost Highway Eclipse, where it's all like sleek and clean. Weird. And it's brand new, so they painted it white. And it's like, you could tan off of this building. Yeah, like, it's super, super bright. Strange. And the first time I went there, I sat outside while she went in. And they were... Just blaring, no one's there. It's like morning, just blaring music, and they were blaring The Great Pretender. Nice. Had platters. 
or the yeah. old Pete. Not the Freddie Mercury version, but the, the right, original. Like, yeah. Wow. It's very weird scene. But in, you know, Cliff is just a ghost. Um, yeah. yeah. So nothing ever got done with it. It's still there. You can go look in the windows and it's... I wonder what... It used to be... I guess it's still zone commercial. I wonder if Squatter's rights apply to that. I'm just... to cut this part out. <laughs> um, it's so sad then. We I have ideas that we need to we need to discuss about we've Montebello. Got gr- we've got ground to ground to cover. Oh, there there there's work to be done on the on the Montevallo, uh, the Occupy Montevallo front. We, but we've talked about moving there. Uh, that, honestly, I was thinking about it when they were talking about decriminalizing. Because I was like, you know what, they I'll were? do. Alabama. Oh, okay. I thought you meant Montevallo itself. No, no, no. Damn. I mean, you'd still get arrested in Alabama, right? But if Alabama decriminalizes weed, we would totally be down living in Montevallo. Like, if I knew yeah. I could just get a ticket for having weed. Yeah, I know on good authority from friends of mine uh, that that's one of the worst things about living down there as a college student is that the DEA is just up everyone's ass all the time. Shelby County is notoriously like. The worst, and you're from Alabaster. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I I never got I never got hit with anything. Yeah, I amazed fucking amazingly. All my friends did. Well, my my problem was I also grew up in Birmingham. Yeah, where it's a lot freer of a pasture, and so then going to Alabaster. Yeah, I I didn't really know the, the yeah. drill. Yeah, I've been meaning to talk to to some of the older Montevallo folks that have been there for a while because from what I heard, it was like if you were a long hair. Quote, if you were a long hair, a queer, or other things, then it was a very bad place for you to be. It's like yeah. notoriously bad even in Alabama. As far as Shelby County goes, I believe Montevallo is probably the best. You're gonna it's liberal, it's got a liberal arts college. So there's more of an understanding of like these college kids are here, they're the whole reason this town's running. Mm-hmm. So they like I feel like they're a little easier. We're in places like Alabaster, Pelham, Calera. They're there to keep the the kid havers safe. <laughs> they well, um, they make their money off of busting potheads, right? They, like, yeah, the police there, the actual and the campus police and the city, uh, their main objective is just we need to keep people safe. All the interactions that I've had with them about parties and stuff, it's like, you guys, you're making it really difficult on us because we know that there are people and they're drinking that shouldn't be and that are going to end up in a bad place because um, they're going to have to drive or they're going to have to do whatever. Uh, later and we don't care about you we don't care about your whatever weed you've got in there or whatever but we know that this is a dangerous situation and then you kind of have to go yeah that's true we can't have a door guy i don't know what we're going to do so i guess we can't do this anymore sorry (laughs) you know they're not uh being vindictive or or taking pleasure in busting up the party at least in my experience right but in those other towns yeah they'll come in and just with their dicks out yeah especially pelham and hoover just with relish like uh, they're just like I don't know, but <laughs> I wish give me any reason. I wish the podcast could see that. Yeah, flex. <laughs> uh, when I turned eighteen, I got pulled over and searched like six times in three months, and a padded down balls padded <laughs> just for looking like a young ne'er do well. Yeah, I guess. And the whole thing too is, I was none of us were for speeding. Uh, seat belt brake light so you know little or just you look sketchy or there was one time i was walking my laundry to my mom's house and a sheriff just pulled up asked for my id gave it back and drove off 
It's like okay, dude. Papers. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, they're they're just intense out there. So the uh, just just the, play, the easiest place for me to start with the music is it sounds like it sounds like somebody trying to process what they're seeing in the culture. I don't I don't know the the, the album starts with the rock by baby kind of monologue uh, mm-hmm. intro moment. And that was just hilarious. I don't know if it was meant to be hilarious to me, but the first time I heard it, it was like, okay, this is a, a ominous tone. It had enough to be unsettling in it, and I enjoy it, especially with the the chipmunk face and just kind of the whole. There's a mystique about it that seems a little unhinged, and especially with the visuals and the videos and a lot of the glitchy, fast movements and obscurity and the the blurriness and kind of the the kind of more horrifying imagery that manages to be light and whimsical but still a little spooky. It's an interesting line. It's not like novelty or goofy, but there's enough color in it that it's not like uh, edgelord, oppressive, we're going to be crazy, you know. But so (laughs) the beginning, you you hear the rockabye baby thing in in an altered voice and you hear this kind of thing and then the baby will drop and then the uh, whatever the main sequence of that first number is, it just, it was hilarious to me because uh, we're going to drop that baby Bro, we're gonna, we're gonna drop that bass baby. It was just it, it, it had such a distance to it of if it was delivered like if you delivered all that like DJ Khaled, then I will drop a baby. Yeah, drop, <laughs> this you know, baby will drop. What does he say? Uh, does he just say DJ Khaled? Or he says we the best music. Yeah, that's right. And then he also says let's ride. Yeah, DJ Cali, let's ride. Oh, well, and, okay, oh. straight up, I love some of his beats, but I found out he doesn't even make his beats. Oh, he just slaps that on there. Yeah, that's kind of what I figured. He's like, but uh, so like what you said, like that's really exciting to me because I'd never even thought of that. And I, I don't like, I guess with the process and with all that, it's like, um, I don't know, like I'm so like inside of it that I it's really exciting to think of people on the outside of it and how they're perceiving it. Because for me, it's like, I don't know. Even. You said earlier, the energy goes into making the thing. There's not a, a, a thought out presentation for it, or there's not, um, there's not like a persona that you're the little white bitch is a concept that is being kind of executed on music instead of a figure or like a, yeah, we're not so like a, yeah, it's definitely like, trying to see how far it can as a performance and music and visual thing like but there's but, not like a shtick to it yeah i guess not because i that's what if i do shticks they like fuck up eventually yeah like, that, i feel like the world yeah. won't let me do shtick but that so i carried that listening through the whole experience and when especially in the later half when you have because there's no guitar in the first like i think 15 or 20 minutes of it the first several tracks are all pretty breakbeat based and that kind of perversion of the wobbly bit kind of stuff. I think track four or five starts with the, the more song-like uh, guitar figures, the things with real drums. It was pretty startling, but it kind of continued on that, like I said, a, a kind of experience, a journey through the whole thing. You get a tone set up in the beginning, kind of lulls you into it. The The electronic pieces have so much contrast and flow to them where you do get highs and lows and quiet moments and more intense deranged moments. So when you suddenly hear a guitar and, 
and the very residence kind of style obscured vocals. I don't know if that was on purpose either, but this kind of thing where there's a voice in there that's very distinct, but it's not uh, like a singer or it's not a, it's not somebody trying to sing you a song. It's, it's yeah. something that's happening kind of in its own. That, I think, that, yeah. So you mentioning the residence, like that's a huge, like, and I, I'd never even really thought about it, but we were driving through rural Georgia and it was just like a great drive. Cause it's a, probably a bit like driving around uh, Wilton, mm-hmm. that area, you know, and where you just see like 50 years ago. And I put on the uh, the residence and it was like, it's like, oh yeah, they're like a huge, like I'm, I keep being reminded of influences where I'm like, oh, that took Devo. Yeah. Know, like, uh, but also movies. I mean, I've, I've even thought before about trying to shift to movies as more of a career or whatever, but at this point, it's like I'm, I'm buckled in on what we're doing. <laughs> Hopefully it'll get there, but like, I know I can't operate on a plan. Like, I can't, like, I'm going to be a filmmaker. I know it. <laughs> you know, it's like I just have to do what's around. And yeah. I think that's probably a big part, but being, so, and I mean, she's a cartoonist, comic artist. You know, we're, we're, we definitely don't come from like, super musical background so i think a lot of what we're doing is trying to like quench all the thirst of like like what you're saying it's it's i love pop music but there's an element of like um i don't i don't know like the difference between pop music and like soundtrack music like david lynch's music or like even jasper's Mm -hmm. jasper lee like there's a thing about people who have done film where it affects their music in a way and I can't quite put my finger on it. Yeah. Yeah. But it, I know what you're saying. Animal Collective. That was a big one. Yeah. And, and like A.B. Terror listed uh, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre as a big musical influence. And if you watch that movie, like that makes sense. Like the sound, you know, noise and improv, I think, get more in that cinematic realm of like, I don't know. It's really cool to see how yeah. people wiggle that. Well, in movies, there has to be, um, even if there's a real flow to, because if you write it right, there's like a flow to the dialogue. If you've seen a movie enough, especially if you saw one as like a a kid and you watched it a ton, if you go back and watch it now, you know all the beats. It feels familiar, the rhythm of it. And that's all, I mean, it's made up of the dialogue and what's happening, but it's also the moments of shuffling between moments or it's the, the deadness of it. And there's not a lot of space for that in pop music. Yeah. That kind of... You got two minutes. <laughs> even even with that, uh, there's there's uh, there are proscribed moments of tension and release. Right, right. Where in something like well, at the very beginning of I can't remember the beginning, the, the the title track. Give me just a second. There's a rhythm to it that builds the moment up beyond just what you're saying here. Door scratches on door scratch son. Well, this will load event. Here we go. Yeah, so it's all the it's all the dead moments in that that are the most musical parts. 
there's no genre trapping of the synth or the stuff that comes in behind that padded out. You know, there's a way you write a rock riff. It takes so long, dun 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 dun, and that's like your. Th- there's no like uh, structure that has that ties it to anything necessarily, and it's a really cinematic way where the sounds between your sounds are. It's it's the sounds between the sounds that makes it feel like there's somebody in the room with you. There's enough irregularity in it, uh, especially in the voices, because and that I don't mean to compare, you know, the resonance thing as a as a way to understand it better. It's it, the characteristic of it is obscured. There's a you know, it's not like you're Mick Jagger trying to tell people a thing so you can get it across. It's like the experience of hearing the voice is almost more important than the role of the lyric in the song or what you know it's yeah it's not so um i guess that was a it's like the difference between a road and a trail or even the difference between a trail and the woods like i I don't i and i think about it with dimensions but like bob dylan was a huge uh and i i I think that because what's strange is i don't listen to bob dylan Mm -hmm. anymore but he uh spread the walls out i was really drawn to how he just kept alienating his audience like over and over and over like to up till now kind of where it like i love those artists where it's like they're just on their own like trip <laughs> yeah now if you're if you're still going to his shows just, you're not going to see his old stuff you're going to see the last two records he put out and if you know yeah. them and love them then you really love bob dylan you know <laughs> there's there's not a um he's not appealing anymore to anything but what he's trying to work on i guess it's weird yeah so I, I kept getting that feeling throughout the whole thing of you're leading people through an experience and you're leaving out more than maybe you're including. And that was a, I thought of Brian Eno in that if, if you have a song and there's all this interesting stuff happen and there's just a beat happening underneath it that doesn't do anything, there's no reason for that to be there. You, you've internalized the drum. Okay. You know, if you have a synth going, that's all you need. You don't need dot, 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 dot. You don't need that to tie that in. That's already right. been, like you said, you've, you know, the irregularity that Dylan brought to whatever he was doing did its work. Well, and it's kind of um, enchanting. I, for me, like with other artists that like, um, I mean, it would just what's coming to my mind and like talking about Bob Dylan, Harmony Corinne. Mm-hmm. total fanboy but he like uh he really loves n- little white bitch no we really love him <laughs> he, when people uh, when people hand you that you just gotta say it you just gotta go with it man anyway. <laughs> no nah, he's like a like hero of mine but his stuff like always i love art that's like a step ahead of me where like you you naturally have an expectation you've seen like a trailer or whatever and like you have this expectation going into it and it by the time it's over, you're just like, man, that like, it's way beyond me of like, and that's like why I love it because it's like comforting knowing you're not in control and knowing your expectations are wrong. And I think art really plays with like your expectations and just what you, even for us, like just having anxiety or getting to the show or whatever, you know, just all these things. It's like just trying to get all that settled and out to like actually uh, create. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like I would say that's more, that's a lot of the work in it is 
being like, do I need this? Do I need this here? And I think that's a huge like guiding force is what's around you. And just like, like I could, we could be more like, oh, we can't do this because we need this to do this. Or, you know, it's like just following those nights where you're just like, fuck it, you know, and like, like with what happened with your stuff, getting fried out, you know, like you're still finding a way to like, even, you know, and I've even thought if someone stole all my equipment, you know, it's like, there's still an option that just gives me a challenge to go get you know, find a way to make music or art. Like it, it's right. always, you are the thing that, uh, like you're the reason you're not making it. If yeah. you want to, like <laughs> it's always it. Our art can always exist. Like, I mean, we, we've had pets that made art and just nature looking at nature, you know, it's like, it's all around you. So uh, kind of along the lines of the cinematic thing of, of seeing music progressing along, you follow it along and there's, you get information moment by moment. You're getting an experience of things happening instead of a predictive thing you can expect. It's a it's a much denser. That stuff I love. That moment by moment, it's interesting and engaging because instead of every thirty seconds, you get a verse that kind of leads up to a thing that builds up to a thing that the chorus is the peak, and then maybe there's an interesting moment there that happens that you really like. You might get two or three peaks per song, and that's it. But then in something like, especially the electronic pieces on this, the irregularity that sits underneath the predictability, you know, I could put it on and play it and let it just kind of go and I enjoy listening to it. But then when I put the headphones on and everything's happening, there are 20 or 30 of those peaks or of those uh, <laughs> interesting moments of that release every every minute or something and every track, especially in the later half with the more rock oriented stuff or just with the rock instrumented things, it's uh there are like 12 songs crammed into each one of those songs. Mm. Uh, and if you just extrapolated all those parts out and just repeated a bunch of stuff, then you would have an album full of rock music right. that is pretty standard, but it's been deconstructed and crunched so that there's so much experience in there that you you're stimulated a lot. Mm. So kind of in a, in a divergent way, you're primarily a visual artist. Oh yeah. How do, how do you think that's affected the choices that you make? This is like, I'm not really a performer, I guess. I haven't been doing Well, you are now. I am now. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I, in my head, it's like I'll imagine. Even though, um, you know, when we put videos together and stuff, helping out with like, okay, well, you know, this place here, this place here, this flows well, or maybe shorter. Like, um, I think in a lot of... In, in the way we work together, it's very much like you do think like random things happen and y'all like, uh, it's not as analytical as drawing. Right. And it, this feels like way more abstract to me since it's something that I'm not as familiar with. And that kind of experience and like not being able, cause like when you, when you draw something, you you're seeing every line that you make when I'm just up there, like I can't see anything. I get yeah. kind of hints sometimes of what's going on. It's kind of dancing in the fog. Yeah, it, it's a totally different experience. I like that we create a visual element that we can't... Um, but it's, it's all beforehand, but the whole experience of it is just totally like... Like, that. that's really the big difference is when... I feel like when you're creating art and you're making paintings or drawings, you're remembering an experience. Hmm. 
and it, it's, it's captured in that one moment. Whereas, like, when you make music or you perform, it's like you're you're encapsulating it. You know, it's like a, movement. a momentary. Yeah, there's movement. It's it's only happening. You can't recreate it. Whereas, like, you make prints and stuff. I guess, like, you can have CDs and stuff, but like. It doesn't have context. Yeah. It's not the same as walking in and it's all the expectation of walking in and seeing something like that and then having to figure out what is going on instead of seeing it on a video on Facebook or something where it's yeah. like, here's a little white bitch playing at this place. <laughs> all right, cool. That's a, uh, all right. I see what's happening here. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. There was a period where I was like definitely considering the like asking people not to film mm-hmm. because it, I guess it's precious and like we enjoy like when no one has any idea what they're about to see like that is like those have been yeah the people who have have never experienced us before or a few people at different shows like that particular interaction after the show they're just like whoa i've never i have no idea what i was walking into ultimately as we grow and do this like we're gonna have to adapt to like people being familiar yeah i don't think there's anything wrong with that You've got strength in that because everything is shifting. You've you're consistently trying new things out that aren't. It's not like you're trying to refine one thing down to a concept. It's all the different angles and flavors you can get from the different shows. There's more incentive to come to different shows after you've seen one, because then you get more of a glimpse into what is going on just from having a different vantage point. Hmm. You know, from seeing it on a different night. Even if it's the same material and the same setup, even if you if you did move similarly, um, where they are and where you are and the small differences illuminate something that might have otherwise been confusing. It gives people a longer exposure that you would might want to get from an album. That's that's what it offers, is that you can sit down for 45 minutes or multiple times and revisit it and, and get more out of it. But being able to do that live, it seemed counterintuitive for something like this where you the newness and the freshness is kind of important. So if you go on tour, then everybody that you come into contact with is somebody that has never seen you. Yeah. That's what's yeah, we, yeah. we just got back from tour. Yeah. Well, and, and that's ultimately, that's like more of an insecurity where like when I turn to chill Walker and I like can look at it that way, you know, it's like, <laughs> uh, like you just think about when you perceive a band, you know, or like, uh, like the show you played with Deerhoof, who I'm a huge fan of, I was convinced I would never see Deerhoof because I'd heard they were like breaking up. They'd been around longer than I've been alive and never played like Birmingham. I think they played huh. Mobile twice. That was the first time they played Birmingham. And like, wow. so in that show, you know, it's like, that's one of those bands I'm like a fanboy for. And it's like, oh my god, I'm going to see Deerhoof. And then watching them, I'm just like, ah! Like, but then there's other times like where you're just somewhere, you mm-hmm. know, and you just walk in the room and someone just blows your fucking mind, and it's like really magical because you were your defenses were down. Or there's been times you've played with a band for like, like y'all played shows and they've been all right, and then maybe they get a new member or something, and you see them, and you're just like, holy fuck, like that is they took it up and you know it's exciting. There's so many, yeah, like, as a creator, we're, we're perceiving, uh, ultimately I've resigned to the fact that, like, we're just perceiving it in a totally different way than the audience. And there's, 
it's the same thing if you go back and watch a Harmony Corinne movie or something. Like, there's so much you miss. And with the way we make stuff and the way how dense it is, you're totally missing a lot. And so the next time you see us, even if we did the same thing, you would experience things differently and it's easy to forget about that.